2: Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon.
3: And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. This is the first episode of Season 2 of Three Yards Per Carry, as the New England Patriots won their sixth Super Bowl. And this show is brought to you by AutoNation. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, Chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop for over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you always wanted. They've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every year, and you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, All pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search right now at autonation.com. Well, guys, we have a coach. And his introductory press conference was at 4 o'clock on Monday. And I should be uploading this show sometime tonight, which should be Monday night for our listeners. It was just and, a couple of hours ago. <laughs> yeah, really. So, I don't know. I watched the whole thing. I guess I'll go to Simon first. Simon, you watched it. What were your impressions of Brian Flores?
1: Um, I thought it was underwhelming. But then, uh, you know, we're, he's here to coach, not to speak publicly. Um, he was repetitive in some of the things that he talked about Uh, in terms of, you know, what he stands for and what he'd like to see. And we kind of knew that that was the guy that he was. Uh, he's clearly not a comfortable public speaker but again you know he's not here to come and win a, a you know a spelling bee or a um you know a speaking competition he's here to coach uh, a football team and whether or not he's successful at that remains to be seen but um you know it is what it is uh, it, you're not blown away by his um ability to interact with the with the media you weren't blown away by his um you know i mean he was just fine but then i mean who cares i care what he does on you know, the start of september i wasn't blown away but you know i wasn't expecting to be blown away i was blown away last night um and that was far more important so chris i don't know what you thought
2: I thought that well first off steve ross gets up there and everybody noticed that um you know bruce beal is that his name uh he, yeah he's in the photo He's in the photo with Steve Ross and uh, the new head coach. He's the next owner. (coughs) Yeah, essentially. He's the next owner and, you know, lots of speculation sooner rather than later. Um, So that's the first thing. Steve Ross talks about the new hire and immediately he says that they wanted a leader as opposed to other teams who are looking for an offensive mind. Or a defensive mind, or somebody like that. He's looking for a total. He was looking for this time around with a total leader, which I thought that was interesting because it's sort of like um, it's it's sort of like uh, calling out some teams for wanting the next Sean McVay, but also kind of calling out himself because he wanted the next Sean McVay before before this round of um of guys hired quote unquote the next Sean McVay. He was looking for an offensive mind when he hired Joe Philbin. He was looking for an offensive mind when he. Hired Adam Gase. Tom Garfinkel evidently and Matt Higgins and Brandon Shore uh, all helped conduct the search with Steve Ross and Chris Gere- and Greer. I thought that was interesting and also Chris Greer pushed back on the narrative that you see coming out that you know Chris Greer and Brian Flores are besties or you know the best pals and and that's why Brian Flores got hired. Chris Greer said that they knew each other as acquaintances, you know, that bumped into one another every now and then when they were on the scouting circuit, we're talking 10 plus, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, um, when they were doing the scouting circuits, but otherwise he just sort of kept tabs on him from afar and, um, and maybe had some mutual acquaintances, but they really only spent time together a year ago, maybe at the owner's meetings and, um, and and then spent more time during the interview process getting to know him. And so he really he really kind of took issue with the idea that I think that he was he was gonna hire Brian Flores from the start because they're besties or something like that. And I, I don't think that's necessarily true either. I think that he's an admirer, but I don't think he's necessarily best friends with Brian Flores, um, although you know who knows they could become good friends from here on out. Flores obviously is not a confident speaker. And I think that uh, you hit on it, Simon, and we saw it in some of the speeches that you can look up on YouTube. He gave a speech uh, for the YMCA. He gave another speech to a university to talk about leadership. I think particularly that one, he was kind of going a little more off the cuff and it didn't come off all that that great and just like this press conference today didn't come off all that great he didn't look like he had much prepared for this today which is understandable because he just played the Super Bowl of his life last night or just just called the game of his life last night and was probably up until all hours afterwards uh either celebrating with his team or getting on the plane or getting ready to come down here, all that stuff. I don't know. He just, he, he was very underwhelming uh, when he goes up there and talks and he, he tends to give me the impression that he's just a little bit in over his head, to be honest. But as you said, Simon, that's not the important part. The you know actions speak a lot louder than, uh, than, than all this stuff than words. And you know, the actions that we've seen, the only actions that we've seen since he was, basically confirmed as the next head coach of the Dolphins. The actions that we've seen are him putting together this staff, which we'll talk about in a minute, which has been a very impressive process to me. I didn't expect to be impressed by it, but it has been very impressive. And then probably, you know, being the play caller of probably the best defensive performance there has ever been in a Super Bowl last night. And it, we'll talk about that, but that's, those are actions. And uh, I think that those are the more important thing. Otherwise, you know, sometimes I, I wonder if he's a little bit in over his head.
3: Yeah. What I got from this press conference was, well, first of all, when they pushed back on, on this notion that it was a foregone conclusion that they were going to hire Brian Flores, I just don't buy it. There was a report earlier on, uh, I think it was last week where the Miami Herald had, quoted some anonymous coaches saying that they got the impression right away that Brian Flores was the guy and that nobody else really had much of a shot to get the the job. It turns out that Darren Rizzi was, he was willing to take the head coaching job, but was not willing to play second banana to anybody. And that's why he's gone. So it suggests that all these other interviews that they conducted on the run up to Flores actually being, officially hired were a sham so front floors okay fine you identified your guy and that's that's who you wanted and you went with him but just don't you know don't blow smoke up our our ass that you conducted this long you know arduous search when you did it as far as what he said yeah he was repetitive like like simon said and he really didn't reveal much and what i got from this is that Yeah, he is his own man. He's not Bill Belichick, but there has been many, many documentaries about Bill Belichick and, you know, quote-unquote, the patriot way. And in private, Bill Belichick is not the guy that you see in these press conferences where he's just droning and mumbling on and on and on about nothing. But what I did get from this is that Brian Flores very much intends to mimic Bill Belichick in one regard, the way he deals with the media. So... I would say we're not going to get much, many revealing press conferences, and we're not going to get wowed by what he says at the podium. But I hope that he is as good a communicator in private with players as he is as Bill Belichick was in the documentaries that we've seen. But, yeah, he really just didn't say anything. Like, I, I, I watched it twice, and nothing really was revealed. All he really said was, of note was that the the dolphins every time they play against the dolphins they are very well coached which begs begs the question then why are we firing everybody but <laughs> yeah he really didn't reveal anything i don't know i don't know how much what much else you can take from it but you know uh, green was also you know he was asked about Tannehill. he refused to answer whether Tannehill is going to be back or not it's it's the, the noise is actually deafening that he will be gone sooner rather than later. So, yeah, uh, nothing really revealed much from this. As far as being in over his head, uh, you know how I feel about it. I think Chris Richard was a slam dunk nominee for, for the job, but he didn't get it. They identified this guy, and now they're married right at the hip, Chris Greer and Brian Flores. And if they fail, they will fail together. So if this doesn't work out in three years time or four years time, then I would suspect that you will get a complete cleaning house cleaning of the entire operation. So I don't know, Simon, I don't what else what else can we talk about? I, mean, as- I, don't
1: know. I don't I don't. there's nothing really else to say in terms of I mean, what do you ever learn from a press conference? Really, I mean, if he came in and blew the doors off like he was some great orator, would we feel any better? Would we feel any worse? I mean, we'd be a I little
3: animated on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I feel good about it. I
1: don't, you know, it, it is what it is. It's um, you know, what he did on the field, you know, last night, is will live long in the memory. You know, whether or not the important thing now is whether or not he can translate that. To, to and bring that to Miami, and um, whether you know, I mean, the thing that I, I found very boring in the last twenty four hours, and actually the last few weeks, actually, is people going. It's all Belichick. It's nothing to do with Flores. It's all Belichick. I mean, that's patently untrue, and the people that continue to peddle that are, are, are idiots, frankly. And if you're one of those people, then you're an idiot. Um, you know, because it, it's not all Belichick by any stretch of the imagination. The game plan is put together best as we know by a combination of Flores, Bill Belichick, and Brendan Daly. And then it is carried out by Flores because he calls the plays. He is the pl- defensive play caller. Now, obviously, Belichick listens in. Belichick listens into offensive play calls as well. I mean, that's that's natural. But Flores calls the plays. Flores called that that scheme last night that was so effective in shutting down a, a generally brilliant Rams offense. And to say anything else is frankly ludicrous. And it's embarrassing. It just shows a complete lack of football nows and football knowledge, I think. Um, but beyond that, I, I mean, I don't really have anything to say. Let the guy do his thing and let's see what, see how it plays out. I mean, the good thing for him is he's almost certainly going to get himself a quarterback. You know, he's going to get his own quarterback to pick or he will pick it with Chris Greer, you know, mm. and he will, he will, he will not have somebody foisted upon him. He will not have to take over somebody else's baggage he will get the chance to work with a young quarterback. And, you know, if, as it turns out, he brings across some of the guys that we're going to talk about coming up, then that's, you know, he's put together, a uh, he's putting together a good to very good uh, coaching staff, which again is a, is a huge plus. He's done very well, especially as kind of the, the penultimate guy to really be able to put a staff together because, you know, along with himself and Zach Taylor, they, they, they played in the Super Bowl, So it was more difficult for them to put, put coaches together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm happy. It's uh, you looked happy. Uh, the the players have been tweeting and Instagramming their their, especially the defensive players, um, have been tweeting and Instagramming their their praise and happiness and um,
2: welcoming. So we'll see how it plays out. I feel, now, for for one thing, I think these assistant coaches that are commenting and and saying that you know they considered it sort of a foregone conclusion, or they considered him to be the favorite the whole time. Well, first off, that's not surprising because Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald said very early that Brian Flores is, is the uh, the favorite. However, that came after Flores. Inter- he, remember, he was the first to interview and he had uh, a multi-day interview, I think, and it could very well be that he was considered the favorite af- after having a, a good interview after they liked him. But I also wonder if some of these assistants of one of them in particular is named Darren Rizzi. <laughs> so um, whether whether he just sort of explained away his his not being in contention for the head job um, by saying by saying that this was always going to be Brian Flores's uh, job to be, begin with, and so it, it's a little bit convenient I find, especially when we've heard that the difference between Flores and Chris Richard, who also was in serious contention for the job, uh, the difference between them was. The coaching staff the 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 staff that the two people were able to propose being able to put together and and alf you heard that yourself uh so i I, the idea that this was always you know it, it strikes me as rumor mongering that article talking about assistant what do these assistant coaches actually know about whether it was always brian flores's job in the first place. I think that that's, um, it's, it's, I don't know. it's just, it's a little ugly uh, and unbecoming. I, I don't think, I don't know if it's actually true or not, because I know that they did give Chris Richard, you know, quite a lot of thought. And as you, as we've talked about, it probably came down to the assistant coaching staff that the two could bring with them and the assistant coaching staff that we've been seeing assembled or even the preferences that we've seen established by uh, Brian Flores, even guys that he didn't end up getting say Cliff Kingsbury or Greg Roman, you know, it's been all very impressive. So I think that that, that leads me to believe all the more that they've just been impressed by him through the process too. Uh, instead of, Oh yeah, that's This is always, he's my best friend. So I'm going to hire him. I, I think that's bullshit to be honest. I think that's really bullshit. I thought it
3: was kind of interesting that, Everything we heard about all the interviews were we heard a lot about Eric Bieneme, that he had ideas and that he liked the he liked the roster roster, or he liked parts of the roster, I should say. And that Chris Richard had like a plan. But we never heard anything about Brian Flores and he ended up getting the job, which tells you all you need to know that certain people, I guess, were lobbying for other people to get the job than Flores. And the people that mattered were Chris Greer and Steven Ross. And those were the ones that got the correct impression from Brian Flores, and that's why he was hired. So, anyway, let's talk about this performance last night. Good God! First of all, it's it's easily the most boring Super Bowl I've ever watched in my life. But it's boring because one team made the red zone all game, one red zone trip, and it was the Patriots when they scored the touchdown with Sony Michelle.
1: One red zone play as
3: well,
2: because it was the. <laughs>
3: The yeah, Texas has right. yes. a first
2: down. It was a big play that got them into the red zone, and then just right away that one yeah. run.
3: For a game that was within three points, and then for about a five minute stretch within seven points, you would think there'd be a lot more drama. But good God, this thing was ponderous to watch. And the reason it was ponderous to watch is because Brian Flores and Bill Belichick, if you want to give him some credit, since he is the head man. And his players completely short-circuited the second-ranked offense in the NFL, and absolutely smashed it from beginning to end. Really, what did you see, Chris? That Brian Flores was actually doing that was actually dismantling this Rams offense.
2: Well, for starters, uh, there there were a number of things, and it's it was really interesting because. This whole Brian Flores thing added a layer to the, to the game-watching experience, I thought, because normally hey, this, this was going to be the most boring, depressing – if we had hired Chris Richard, I'm not even sure I would have watched the game. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, because just another Patriots Super Bowl. I mean, and, and as many others did not tune into the game. You notice the overnight ratings. Yeah, it's w- the
3: lowest-rated Super Bowl in the last 10 years.
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was low and it's been it's been that way. It's been on a steady downtrack and down um, downtick since I think two thousand sixteen. And uh, and this is right there with it. I'm not I, I might not have even tuned in if it weren't for Brian Flores and wanting to get a you know, another one last look at his defense and just see what he's gonna do as a, the play caller on the biggest stage. And uh, so, because of that layer of intrigue, though, there were all kinds of things that you noticed that were really cool about it, because this was this was a juggernaut offense. Let's not make any any mistake about this. This offense, this uh, Rams offense, was virtually unstoppable for most of the year. And uh, and Sean McVay, of course, everybody's trying to hire the next Sean McVay because you know he can remember all his plays, and he can he can name all the players on the other side of the. On the other side of the um, the, the field, I guess, but uh, but yeah, I mean, this was this was a juggernaut offense, and they just shut them down, and they did it with a number of I don't know if I'd call it innovations, but it was certainly kinks that they threw their way. Uh, for one thing, we know the Patriots' defense is a man defense for for the most part, man coverage. They're as oriented toward man coverage as anybody in the league, and suddenly in this game, they're playing zone all the time, uh, and then they also yeah are not a defensive line that stunts a whole lot. And suddenly they stunted a whole lot that like uh, a pro football focus had them stunting on half of the plays uh, of the game, I believe it was. And, uh, and then blitzing, this is not a blitzing. Well, I mean, New England, depending on how you consider a blitz, extra rushers, do they, do they, are they a defense that sends extra rushers at the quarterback? Not, as much, and in fact, this was according to Pro Football Focus the third most that they have blitzed the entire year. So they weren't the Rams weren't necessarily ready for this all out blitz effort, uh, they weren't ready for the stunts, they weren't ready for the zone coverage that they saw from the New England Patriots. And the other thing that the New England Patriots did on defense that was also very smart was uh, explicitly and it's almost like it's almost like if everybody knows this why don't why doesn't somebody else devise a plan to do something about it too but the rams are a team that famously like to have sean McVay in the quarterback's ear all the way until the 15 second cutoff so when the play clock is at 15 seconds he can no longer talk to uh to jared goff so they like to get lined up and then start to get a look at what the defense is is doing what they're trying to do and how they're trying to line up um, before that 15 seconds so that Sean McVay can say something real quick to Jared Goff in his helmet before the play starts and then he can uh, and either he can change the play or he just knows what he's going to do so he's basically he really is literally the quarterback whisperer and, uh, and the Patriots just said well fine fuck it we're going to what we're going to do is we're going to show you a defensive look you know before that 15 second cutoff and then we're going to completely change it <laughs> completely changed the play and the look to something else entirely and this just stumped Jared Goff who I think you know listen kid uh, I know I know he's young but he's going to have to he's going to have to be able to not have his hand held and be able to do some of these things on his own if he wants to be an elite level quarterback or if he wants to be a really good quarterback in the NFL but certainly in this game they made him you know they took off they took the training wheels off Jared Goff forcibly and and he wasn't ready for it and I so I think between that and between the the man's own coverage uh, turning into his own team all of a sudden the, the blitzing and the um the the stunting and and the timing of that blitz that blitz that caused the interception that Jared Goff threw to Stephen Gilmore um again that was a straight up Brian Flores call that was uh that was his his call on the and timing and a zero blitz yeah it was and it was it was his call and the timing of it uh I've seen Devin McCourty talk about this how he he thought um that Brian was considering calling it a little earlier in the game but chose not to and then when the situation came up there was no hesitation he called it they sent in that extra blitzer a sixth blitzer was the first time they had shown six man pass rush in the game I guess and uh and you know daring Jared Goff to just toss it up which he did and, and Stephen Gilmore was like, I just couldn't believe he threw it.
3: <laughs> yeah, and by the way, he had Robert Woods wide open. yeah, Wide open on the skinny. I don't know if you saw it. He was about, it was about eight yards. Well, He was wide open. All he has to do is just set his feet, get killed, but deliver the football to Robert Woods, and maybe Robert Woods scores or at the very least gets down to the five-yard line. Well, Simon, you saw the game. So your thoughts on this, this performance?
1: Yeah, I mean it was stunning defensively, and and Chris has obviously touched upon a significant amount of it. But you look at, you know, like like Chris said, you, they, they were clearly playing zone and flooding that secondary in the on the first two downs, and on third down it was they they switched to man, and, and, and Goff had no idea what was what was happening. He had no idea what was coming. He had no idea where they were coming from, and it wasn't overly complicated. It wasn't like they were blitzing on every down. It wasn't like they were sending extra extra men at all. It was often just a four man rush. Or Dante Hightower becoming the fifth man, and that was getting home, but he just had no idea what was happening, and it was defensive backs everywhere. They were shutting down, obviously Brandon Cooks, because you you know you have the guy who's pretty much the best was the best corner in the NFL, and Stephon Gilmore, who was you know man on man on on, on Cooks all game, and that just allows you to you know to 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 do what you do elsewhere. Um, what's interesting about the Patriots is that. We've talked about it before, uh, is their discipline, their rush discipline, especially with their defensive linemen, because they're used in a slightly slightly different way um, because of what they're asked to do. You you don't particularly see Patriots pass rushers getting 15 sacks a season like you get with most. Obviously, Chandler Jones had a big season a few years back, but generally you don't because they're asked to do so much schematically. And you look at, you know, you talk to anybody around the Patriots, you you talk to an average fan about Trey Flowers, for example, and they'll be like, look at his stats. Uh, There's so much more to Trey Flowers than just the statistics. You look at Adrian Claiborne, you know, I I was in um, Atlanta last year or maybe the year before, uh, last season anyway, when Claiborne had those six sacks against the Cowboys. Claiborne was a healthy scratch for three of the last four games because of his sort of indiscipline in terms of not sticking. To exactly what he was trying to be coached to to be done, which was be disciplined with his pass rush, which was to set edges, which was a, you know do the donkey work, you know that Dietrich Wise did, you know that that, that guys do to make that Patriots team successful. You, you heard Stephon Gilmore talk today about how it's not easy being a New England Patriot. It's not easy. There is so much extra put on you, there's so much pressure put on you by the coaches. But everybody has a. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Everybody has a piece. And they are fitting that puzzle together game after game, which is what Belichick and which is what Flores do so well. And they don't just do it throughout the season. You see the Patriots play lots of different offensive schemes. But you see them play lots of different defensive schemes as well throughout the season. It is literally one game at a time. They just tailor everything. That's why they have so many versatile players. You look at the McCourty boys, you look at you look at all these guys, especially the secondary, and Chris has talked on Twitter about the, the importance of a, of a Brian Flores secondary uh, in terms of when you look at the draft and free agency and bringing in players. there are very much, um, you very rarely get a guy who can only just do one thing. Do you know what I mean? There, there are guys that can do a number of different roles, perform a number of different roles in that defense, and I think that will be very important for Miami moving forward. It's those versatile players that I think we will be looking at when it comes to to draft time. The intelligent players, guys with football intelligence. You know, I, I saw Matt Miller's mock draft today, and he mocked Montez Sweat to Miami with the 13th pick. One of the biggest issues with Sweat is whether or not he has the mental faculty to get the nfl i think he struggled mentally with 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 a number of issues in terms of footballing issues on the field at mississippi state and it strikes me that montez sweat is not a guy that would fit into a brian flores defense he's they they require thinkers but people that can make very quick decisions who can do things you know in different roles and different downs on different drives almost that's Is the sort of player that you know? I think will come out. Just overall, I just thought it was. I mean, it was a terrible game. It was an awful game, and I hated what happened. But it was, um, it was a breathtaking performance by Flores.
2: I found it to be a good game personally. Just you know, it was a it was a change of pace. It was a defensive game, but also because of the intrigue with watching the Flores defense and also watching you know the 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 opposing the Rams defense. I mean, Wade Phillips is a defensive mastermind in his own right, and. Um, it was really interesting to see to see what he was devising to stop the new England patriots offense and it was it was it was fun in that way i mean if you're really really watching it i i'm not i'm not one of those guys that just automatically oh you know I want a six three game I love defense and stuff yeah. no I, I but I did think mm. there were some interesting things going on it
1: was a great um it was great to see the Hall of famer Julian Edelman play so well <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever heard anything so ludicrous as having Julian one in the Hall of Fame?
3: Yeah, no, and Fame and, and, and you know what, and you know what, Simon? Mark it down. He will be in the Hall of Fame.
1: He won't uh, be. He he won't be. He has five you know touchdowns to do, in 18 pro- playoff beard. games.
2: His beard will be in the Hall of Fame.
3: Yeah. They'll
1: there's stick him in the Hall of Fame hey, somehow. Look at the t- stats for people like Isaac Bruce and Henry Ellard and people like yeah, that. Dude, there is a no, no Yes. He has 5,000 yards receiving and 30 career touchdowns. Mark Clayton had 86 touchdowns and almost double the amount of, of yards. I mean, there's no way that Edelman, he has And everybody yeah. talks about how clutch he is in the postseason. He's got five touchdowns in 18 games. He has less receiving yards in his career than Jabbar Gaffney. He has 2,000-yard <laughs> seasons. His career-best season... Was twelve point three yards per catch. I mean, fuck off. He's not going to the Hall of Fame.
2: I mean, he's—it's well,
1: embarrassing. Uh, Sorry, say that again.
2: I said they're going to make like a Lynn Swan type argument about him. Probably. I mean, it's the embarrassing.
3: Lynn, it's
1: yeah.
2: embarrassing. I mean,
1: well, but Lynn's look at the
2: fine. receivers who are coming down the. But look at the receivers who are coming down the pipe
1: to get Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson. You know, all these guys, mm-hmm. Isaac Bruce, that are still not. You know, there's no way he's getting in. Who are you going yeah, to keep all all, out? Simon. I mean <laughs> That's not be the happen. Argument. <laughs> I've yeah. got more chance of getting in the Hall of Fame
3: <laughs> yeah speak, speaking of the Hall of Fame Ty Law uh, gets in unanimously and yeah. we're still waiting for Zach Thomas yeah. <laughs> so, it so it what I awesome. thought was really interesting about the the Hall of Fame thing they were showing you know how, how people go to and they knock on their doors of everybody and to tell them hey you're a Hall of Famer when they knocked on on Champ Bailey's door Champ Bailey opened the door like yeah I was expecting you asshole <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Same with it. Ed Reed was like, "Yeah,
3: thanks, David. Yeah, David. <laughs> Thank, thanks well, for showing so up." Like, like I
2: really didn't need if, that. You know, if Marvin Harrison ends up in the Hall of Fame, like what's going to happen when they knock on his door? Like, is he going to show up with a gun? <laughs> Just... Well, you're not Ooh, supposed to say that. Marvin
3: Harrison is already in the Hall of Fame, I believe. Yeah, oh, he is, is he? Really?
1: Yeah. Yes. Did he? Yeah, him? he was the first ballot Hall of Famer.
3: <laughs>
2: yes. He? Well, he is uh, in the so, Pro Football Hall of then Fame. The guy, the guy who knocked on his door, survived.
1: <laughs> have you seen david baker he's six foot seven the <laughs> hall of fame chairman you you're not yeah. fuck with
3: him yeah he's giant he's, he's a big guy by the way the nfl 100
1: commercial was amazing wasn't
3: it yes it was that it was-, was absolutely great i enjoyed the hell out of it I, I thought it was innovative i thought it was interesting funny enjoyable every superlative you could throw at it it was clearly the best the best commercial of of was a really dreary bunch. And, of course, it livened yeah. up a terrible game. But, yeah, it, it's an absolutely great commercial. It was fun.
2: It was fun to pick out all the faces and, you know, see, kind of guess who's who and stuff like Because some of these guys aren't, um, you know, aren't as instantly recognizable as others. And so you're you're trying to track them all and play a game with it. And at the end, Sarah Thomas, who's the uh, female um I believe she's a down judge. Uh, she she was in it, and I thought that was that was fun. Uh, and then the viral, uh, you know, the viral video sensation Sam Gordon, uh, who is a nine year old, in you know, her video juking all the all the older and bigger boys on the field in her um, in her youth football went you know it got it got a lot of attention in the nfl uh, for some reason and um or one reason or another and she was in it she was in at the end it was that was kind of fun
3: so yeah all right well we got to go to break and when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about the news of the week weekend and this week but first these words on the Five Reasons podcast, we've got you covered on everything Miami sports. We've got a podcast out every Monday on the Dolphins and the football weekend. We've got original reporting on the big sports stories you care about, like trade talks involving Jimmy Butler and JT Real Muto, and great guests on both current events and a little Miami sports nostalgia. On a recent episode, we were joined by former Heat guard Tim Hardaway.
1: Pat Rowley didn't want me to talk trash. We had to sit down and say, you know, he said, you know, I don't want you to be out there talking. I want you to be, you know, concentrated on what we need to do and helping us win. So I was like, all right, fine. I I won't talk because, you know, I like like to talk. So I said, well, let me do it in practice. He said, okay, you can do it in practice, but not in game. I said, all right, fine.
3: We've got you covered on the 5 Reasons Sports Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth,
0: Seth, Seth, man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for?
3: We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank: Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in.
2: Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch he's, <laughs> is it. because he's chasing me. Because you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah, Lizzo with no, his clothes off? Seth, we know Lizzo <laughs>
3: with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. And we're back. Well, Simon. Had you bet on this game like I did and bet on the Rams heavily like I did, you would have lost a ton of money. Now, explain to the people how they could have lost a ton of money along with one of the hosts of Three Yards Per Carry with our great you, sponsor, Bet DSI.
1: <laughs> did you do it with Bet DSI? Yes, I did. There uh, you go, you see. And did, was it, this I made fir- a bundle off you. Was this your first bet? Because if it was...
3: No, it was about my 189th <laughs> of, of thing.
1: Well, there's no more football season anymore, but there's obviously sport going on around the world and obviously in the States. I don't know when the baseball season starts. Spring training, what, a couple of weeks' time or whatever? But basketball, March Madness on the horizon, eSports, the, the Premier League... All sorts of things going on. You can bet with our partners, our friends. They've been with us for months now. Bet DSI. 20 years online, impeccable reputation for a great service and fast payment for your winnings. You can bet anywhere as well because they've got a great mobile interface. So when you're on your phone, you're sat on the train or, or whatever, you fancy a bet, boom, away you go. And to help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, they are offering double your money on your first deposit. So deposit now, start winning and get up to $2,500 for free. Double your money from the get-go and you can also bet on games whilst they're playing live with their live betting app your team isn't doing so well well watch before you play use promo code yards 101 that's us yards 101 get in the action and get paid don't stand on the sidelines don't keep watching keep betting with our friends betdsi.com boom anyway enough of that chris it's been seven days obviously since we've been talking there's been rumors about new coaches coming in we have a bit more confirmation about new coaches coming in in fact a very interesting name surfaced today in fact tell the good people a little bit more about some of the guys that look like they will be forming our coaching
2: staff well, two interesting names uh, surfaced just today. Uh, Jerry Shaplinsky, who is the assistant quarterbacks coach of the New England Patriots, under Josh McDaniels, who is officially the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. He, uh, he wears two hats. Uh, the assistant under him, Jerry Szaplinski, is coming, supposedly coming with Brian Flores to the Miami Dolphins. It's unclear exactly what his role will be. Prior to now, we had been sort of assuming, and according to reports, it was um, it was to be the case that Jim Caldwell, who's a senior offensive assistant, or going to be a senior offensive assistant under Brian Flores, was also supposed to wear two hats and be the quarterbacks coach. But now that Shaplinsky is coming along, we wonder if that's no longer the case. Uh, the other, the big one, really, is earlier in the day, Alex Marvez said that. Uh, Dom Capers, the former defensive coordinator, longtime defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, was with the Dolphins um, for two years, I believe, in uh, 2006 and 2007. Uh, He is considering coming to the Miami Dolphins as a senior defensive assistant with uh, Patrick Graham, of course, of the Green Bay Packers this year, who is the linebackers coach and run game coordinator. He is going to be the defensive coordinator. That's not in question. But supposedly Dom Capers might be coming along with him uh, to be a senior defensive assistant. Now, the the rumor or the report, as we saw it, said that he is considering other jobs, other availabilities. Uh, he would like a defensive coordinator job if he can get one. But the only job that uh, we have heard that he's uh, rumored for or to be a defensive coordinator is possibly the Cincinnati Bengals and, uh, and new head coach um, Zach Taylor, who was with the Dolphins, remember, uh, Ryan Tannehill's the start of his career. Uh, Zach Taylor is supposedly leaning toward Jack Del Rio as his defensive coordinator. So if that happens, then Dom Capers could be joining the Miami Dolphins staff as a senior def- defensive assistant. Uh, remember earlier, Brett Bielema was rumored to be possibly taking this job. He's currently with the, an assistant with the New England Patriots. And Bielema has been telling people that he's going to get the defensive coordinator job up in New England. However, some fresh rumors are now saying that is not the case, and it is actually going to be Greg Ciano. Um But those are the two today. And it's rounding off a... Uh, I'll, I'll run through them real quick. Um, it's rounding off a nice coaching staff with head coach Brian Flores, senior offensive assistant Jim Caldwell, offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea, quarterbacks coach Jerry Szaplinski, wide receivers coach Carl Durrell, tight ends coach George Godsey, uh, offensive line coach Pat Flaherty, and running backs coach Eric Studsville, of course, who was on the staff already. And then on the defensive side, you have senior defensive assistant Dom Capers, defensive coordinator Patrick Graham, who's with the the Green Bay Packers this year, as I said. Uh defensive line obviously coach. worked with Capers. Yeah. yeah. Well, he Capers was, was Capers there this year? I I'm not uh, sure.
1: No, but, but he would have he would have worked with him
2: at his previous in, in Green Bay. Well he, Graham was with the Giants prior to this uh this year. Was he so, there Green Bay before that? No, he was um he no, was my in, bad. Uh, yeah, he was he was not in Green Bay until this year, and I'm not sure if Capers was actually there this year
1: because Mike Petson was a
2: DC one he? Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, and and Graham's role there, he was like the run the run defense coordinator, I guess. Uh, Marion Hobby, who we've talked about, is a, we don't know that he's going to be the defensive line coach or what, but he is a defensive line coach by trade. Uh, Robbie Leonard uh, has experience as an outside linebackers coach. And uh, Tony Oden, of course, was our secondary coach in this last year, and he's being retained. Now, another piece of news: I'm not sure if we were able to get to it last week, um, or if it happened after our episode. But Darren Rizzi is gone. Uh, yeah. Darren Rizzi is is going to be is going to be off to the New Orleans Saints, and in as his replacement is Danny Crossman, who uh, coached special teams. A very atrocious special teams unit last year with the uh, Buffalo Bills, but if you go reach back a little deeper in his history, or just one year back further in his history, there were some good special teams units in with the Bills, as well as a long time with the uh, Carolina Panthers. Um, he uh, coached that a uh, Super Bowl against the New England Patriots way back when as a special teams coach, and so. He has, uh, he has a wealth of experience. Uh, What, what did you think? I want to go to you first, Alf, because um, I I want to know, like, you obviously were not impressed with Brian Flores heading, uh, heading into this whole, this whole process. And, you know, have you seen anything in the coaching staff assembly that
3: has changed your mind even a little bit? A ton. Uh, First of all, if they bring on Dom Capers, well, first of all, he's a former coach of the year in 1986, 1996, he was coach of the year. He is, I guess uh, there's a couple of guys that you could, you could you know put in that category, but if you had a, a mountain Rushmore and you added a couple of faces to it of defensive coordinators of the history of the NFL, you would be on it. So what a better face to have and a voice in that meeting room to have that you could bounce ideas off of and I guess to hold your hand a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I don't, I I don't see anybody else that's available. That's as qualified as Don Capers. And then you add to that Jim Caldwell, which, you know, nothing's official yet, but you know, if you believe Wikipedia, he's already senior advisor to the Miami dolphins, you have a dearth of experience and gravitas. Like, remember we used that word earlier about, you know, about these coaching candidates, like, yeah, this this really relieves every concern I had for Brian Flores. Really, and Jim Caldwell and Dom Capers in that building—it's a great help, you know. And I know it's not going to be for you know for long. It's probably going to be something that's you know short term, just to ease Flores and his staff in. But yeah, those two things are are you know they're great, uh, you know. That's it's it really really you know a key it. Keeps me hopeful, let's just say, instead of fearful. <laughs> well, Simon, what do you what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, I, I think it's put together. I mean, the, the Capers thing is, you know, as long as you, he is remaining in an overseeing role, because you know, those Packers defenses the last couple of years, he they fell off a cliff under Capers. There's a reason Mike Pettin was brought in. Um, yes. But overall, I think there's some, you know, I think there's some terrific names there. You look at Carl Durrell. You look at Marion. I think Marion Hobby's a terrific signing. Um, mm. The guy from the, the 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 guy from the um and they kept the they kept the um they kept the guys that I really wanted them to keep as well Eric Sturdersville and, uh, and Tony Oden you know Rizzy, we can argue about whether or not Rizzi maybe had to move on but in terms of if you're looking at guys that you want to keep from from the Adam Gaze era then those were the two coaches that you definitely wanted to keep hold of you know I think bringing in Chad O'Shea, I think bringing in Szaplinski, I I think they're excellent moves. You know, they're going to help with the young quarterback that clearly we're going to draft or we're going to play. It's either going to be Luke or Jake, or then, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the draft this year? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, next year? Who knows what's going to happen? But clearly, they're going to get their hands on a couple of young quarterbacks. Um, And the way that the New England system works in terms of, you know, that McDaniel's and uh, Matt Patricia beforehand and, and. uh, and Belichick do a very good job of sort of protecting those younger guys, but they, you know, Schlepinski worked very, very well with Jimmy Garoppolo, and then lastly with Jacoby Brissett um, in terms of nurturing them and developing them, uh, and was well regarded, and uh, you know, for the role that he that he played in that. And um, you know, I think that we'll find that he that those two are really, really good hires. But generally, I think you know, and I mentioned it earlier on. It's difficult when you're the last guy or the penultimate guy trying to bring a coaching staff together because everybody you're you're still playing whilst everybody else is now being able to do that. But some of those names though, I think he's done a he's done a terrific job.
2: Yeah, I think the thing that's notable to me about this coaching staff as it's being assembled and I've been kind of tracking it on Twitter and, and trying to do these um you know, these statistics, uh is is just the the winning that's happened with these coaches at their various so starts. much winning. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's yeah. and I mean, it's well, just Donald Trump would like this much winning. <laughs> well, uh, Donald Trump would like this much hardware and this much gold. I mean, that's and because that's the bottom line. If you were to do a war, put a war chest together in the center of the locker room and have everybody's rings in it, yeah. Then I think you would have eighteen Super Bowl rings, twenty-six conference championship rings, and four NCAA Division One championship rings. I mean, that's a lot of hardware. Can you and run them a lot down? Of-
3: Can you run them down? Do you have them written down somewhere?
2: i I do somewhere, not on me.
3: <laughs>
2: um, I believe there were I believe there were eleven discrete uh, Super Bowl teams that uh, Super Bowl winning teams out of that you know that eighteen if you're talking about you know because obviously Brian Flores has a ring now, and so does Chad O'Shea. Well, Brian Flores has multiple rings, and uh, so does Chad O'Shea. But if you were if you were to just count the discrete teams, I believe there's 11 different Super Bowl teams that make up the 18 uh, number. And it, you know, it's really impressive. I, okay, so Miami. We know that the Miami Dolphins have won. The last time we won a playoff game was mm-hmm. December 30th, 2000, against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, literally. So Literally the Clinton administration. Um, So, do you know? I mean, I I want you guys to guess how many wins, and I'm not counting any win twice. So, so, you know, Brian Flores and Chad O'Shea and Jerry Szaplinski were all part of three division or three playoff wins this year. Um, So that's not nine, that's three. Uh, How many playoff wins have these coaches been part of since the Miami Dolphins last won a playoff game? 40. Yeah, I was going to say 45. 79. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: and it's and 14 just, Super Bowls, I, 21 Conference Championships and 4
2: NCAA. No, it's, it's even more. That I haven't updated is it that. more now? It's wow. more now. As I said, it was uh it, it's 18 Super Bowls now because Jerry wow. Schpilinski is coming in with I believe 3 of his own and then now Dom Capers were adding him to the list. And I know he's still just a rumor, but you know, if we're adding him to the list, he won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers uh, and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and so, um, yeah, if you Jim if you Caldwell look at it, he
3: has two. He has two Super and Bowls. And Jim
2: Caldwell, yeah, Jim Caldwell has two. He has one with the Indianapolis Colts. He has one with the Baltimore Ravens. You're looking at Brian Flores, of course, has his Super Bowl rings. I believe he has five. Uh, Chad O'Shea <laughs> has. What's that?
3: It's insane. <laughs> uh,
2: it might have five. It might have four. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Pat Flaherty. Does really
3: matter? Five or four? No, no,
2: exactly. Pat Flaherty uh, with the New York Giants got two. Uh, Eric Studsville with the Denver Broncos in 2015. Uh, ironically, the year that Adam Gase was not there. Uh, he got his Super Bowl ring in 2015 with the Denver Broncos. Eric Studsville did. Um, there is also, let's see, uh, not Patrick Graham... Tony Oden, Tony Oden got a uh, Super Bowl ring with the New Orleans Saints in 2009 when they uh, they beat the Indianapolis Colts. They beat, I believe, was it was it Tony Dungy at this time that was coaching the Colts, or was it already Jim Caldwell? No, that was Caldwell. Caldwell. Uh, uh, it
1: was Caldwell. I, I, I've got a quiz question for you, okay? Yeah. Um, Flores has won five Super Bowls, okay? Um, we The last time we won five... Play, Five playoff games so if you count 2000 as the what did you say December was it December the 30th 2000 was the last time we won a playoff game yeah
2: yes December the 30th of 2000 so count
1: count back more, four more wins what, what, what's the date of our fifth win if you take five Super Bowl versus our fifth last playoff win not a Super Bowl just a win in the playoffs <laughs> okay. what, what year was that
3: uh-huh, let me um, see it could have been 1999 is no. the first one because that was a uh, Marino's last year. Let me see. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got them all. I got them all. I got them in my head. All <laughs> you right. You got right, all the are. wins. Yeah, I got them all out on my head here. All right. Just the the, uh, Jay, fifth, Fiedler, the f- Jay Fiedler defeats the Colts. Right. Um, one. That's one. Three. Four, that's the only. That's the five. only playoff win in the Wanstead area era. Now, Jimmy. Had the last one, which was when we beat the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle. Before that, he beat Buffalo. And before that, he defeated nobody because he only had two playoff wins. Right?
1: Come on. The fifth last win. What year?
3: 1994, I would say.
1: 1992. No, it was the 1990s. It was 1993. And it was a, our fifth last win in the playoffs was against the Chargers, 31-0.
3: Do you want a piece of trivia about that game? Do it. Oh, I met my wife at that game. Oh, wow! What? Yes. Really? Yes. And it was raining, and she was staring at me of why I wouldn't give her uh, my raincoat. And I was looking <laughs> at her, and I was like, I ain't giving you my what raincoat. What a
2: way to meet. Yeah. Setting the, setting the tone for the
1: rest of the year. Uh... <laughs> so there you go. In the time that Brian Flores has won five Super Bowl rings, it's been 92 2002 2012 yeah he's 27 he's, years he's, he's, since we won five, he's, five he's, playoff games now <laughs> it's a
3: Maybe sad that. existence that the Miami Dolphins have gone through I mean
2: just just think about that think about the time period that I'm talking about from 2000 to obviously it's, it's 2009 and 19 now uh, um you know so so nearly 20 years and in that time period we haven't won a single playoff game And these 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 assistant coaches of ours have been part of seventy nine wins, playoff wins. Turning
3: point, you know. And and I was looking at this the other day, like when was it that we went in the crapper? And I was looking at it, and it was two thousand and three. Do you know what happened on two thousand three? In two thousand
2: three? Well, I mean uh, that year, I know that. was it something offensive line related because Ricky really went in the the tank that year, not well, I mean the year not that the tank, but the year, he had a hard time that,
3: it was the year that Ricky Williams left right no he he left in two thousand four okay, so it was the year so two because no, he ran he ran for eighteen hundred yards in two thousand two yeah.
2: And then he had like a really hard time in 2003. He was oh, averaging. he did
3: have 1,300 yards, but he averaged like 3.8 3. or 3.9 yards per carry. Yeah, he
2: averaged like the, the podcast, 3.3 3, 3 yards per carry.
3: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what happened in 2003. The Dolphins went 10 and six. Okay. Mm-hmm. The following year was the disaster year, the year that Ricky Williams left. Yeah. For that year and for the 20 years prior, the Miami Dolphins were the winningest franchise in NFL history were they yes and the following year they were overtaken by the Oakland Raiders and they Uh have not regained it ever since
2: well of course (laughs) 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 I don't suspect they would (laughs) have
3: yes so you could actually point to a time in history Mm -hmm. when we went from great to garbage and it was actually that year the year we went 10 and 6 and missed the playoffs with Ricky Williams Last year here, before he had that sabbatical, and you know why? Why
2: I, I compared the uh, Robert Quinn when going back to the off season, I compared the Robert Quinn edition and all the hype surrounding him to David Boston and his acquisition, which was 2004, I believe. One of the reasons that I did that is because you know it wasn't it wasn't Ricky's retiring, sudden retiring, and leaving us in the lurch that caused rick spielman to make those desperation trades for marty booker and lamar gordon i mean when ricky retired they were just going to take it in stride and they're going to be like you know what We've got Chris Chambers and David Boston. You know, so and they're and a freshly acquired, I believe, AJ Feely as a quarterback. And, yeah, and so yeah. they're like, you know, we're gonna we're just gonna convert from a running team to a to a passing team, because hey, we got Chris Chambers and David Boston. We got, you know, the best wide receiver duo in the league. It was when David Boston ruptures ruptured his Achilles or, or it might have been Patella, or one of those one of those two, uh, and he was gonna miss the whole year or miss a significant amount of time. That's when Rick Spielman hit the oh shit button and immediately acquired Marty Booker and traded off a pick for Lamar Gordon too. Um, that was and, and it, to me it's like you acquired David Boston for like a sixth round pick. All right. There's a reason you were able to get him for a sixth round pick you know he, he wasn't going to be reliable. Yeah. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, he wasn't. And, and that's how, that's why I, I kind of compared Robert Quinn to him when we flipped off a fourth rounder for him and everybody was like, oh, my God, we got Robert Quinn. It's like, yeah, there's a reason.
3: There's a reason. Yeah. <laughs> there's always, there's
2: ultimately, always a reason. Ultimately,
1: to square the circle of this week's podcast, Flores will only be as successful as the quarterback that he's able to get yeah yeah and that's that you know and it doesn't matter whether he's bill belichick or he's cam cameron really it doesn't actually matter in terms of his ability as a coach because if he gets that quarterback then a
2: lot of those questions get answered don't they you know, although not, we I spotted mean, we spotted kyler murray at
3: that press conference we did. with
2: <laughs> uh with the new head coach brian flores he took a yeah. po- photo with everybody although allegedly
3: that's there. his son that's not likes. kyler murray
2: no that was kyler murray he had a he had a number one Dolphins jersey. <laughs> all
1: right. I think it's becoming That's... more apparent that Murray is going to the Jacksonville Jaguars.
3: Uh, it... that, that would be interesting, huh? Mm. I right. I don't want him in the AFC, but. <laughs> all right, let's get back to this. Okay, remember I told you that in 2003 the Miami Dolphins were number one all time in win percentage. What are they now? We're gonna get to that. Okay. Can you guess who is the all-time win percentage leader in the NFL? NFL history. Right now. Which team? Dallas Cowboys? Yes. Floyd you got Orange, it. All right. yeah. Chris got it. Chris got it. No need to move on from there. Who's number two? Speed this round. A little bit more difficult. Pittsburgh Steelers. Nope. Oh, Denver Broncos. No. So if you guessed wrong, I'll give it to you. Chicago oh, no, Bay. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Really? Yes. Oh. At 564. Cowboys are number one at 573. Who is number three? Dolphins? Nope. New England Patriots now? Okay, you're closer. It's the Green Bay oh, Packers oh. at 564. Who's number four? Uh, the Patriots. Then there you are there they are the New England uh. Patriots at 561. Now here is the interesting thing: the New England Patriots overtook a team this year by week 14. That team, the, the Dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> Who are number five all time in win percentage at 556? And
2: now Belichick's going to retire and it's just going to be sealed. Or, well, no, not really. I guess if he keeps, he's, he keeps coaching, it'll be sealed. Like, if he's, he that, that retires, Not twat, twat's never retiring.
3: I know. <laughs> yeah. And Tom Brady's playing another 15 years for sure. <laughs> so, yes, so since 2003, we've fallen from number one to number five. And we, we do have a pretty hefty lead on number six which is the Minnesota Vikings. So We have stolen the
2: Patriots' mojo, I'm positive.
3: <laughs>
2: and we will sound the funeral bell for the New England Patriots next year, just as we will every year until it happens.
3: Yes, we're only .005 percentage points behind the New England Patriots. So simple mathematics suggests that if we win three more games than they do this year, we will overtake them again. <laughs> in the, the time or they can they can increase their lead, but yeah, uh, we're gonna keep. I'm gonna keep doing it. I can't wait. I can't wait till we do our season preview, and I want to proclaim them dead once again, because this yeah. time Tom Brady will be 43 years old. <laughs> and how long are we gonna keep doing this? And and clearly they'll be without their
2: best coach, you know, Belichick included, and yeah. Brian Flores. Yes,
3: absolutely. So. I don't know. It's it was disheartening. We keep burying them and proclaiming yeah. their death. And the last memory we have of them is them winning the Super Bowl. 13 to 3 in the most boring fashion possible and the most New England. Patriots so, so way we possible. won
2: we won our playoff game. We last won our playoff game in 2000, right? In in yes. oh. December 30th, 2000. So 2000 that was that was when wasn't that when the Patriots ascended? Like right then 2001 pretty much yes so and they have they have literally it's too difficult our to, to do the winning soul
3: but i'm pretty sure that they must have been somewhere around 15th or something like that we have to take it back <laughs> yes okay since we did the top five can anybody guess who's the worst franchise in the history of the nfl cleveland browns no, Cleveland Browns won a ton of. A ton oh, of yeah, season yeah. Season. Well, I mean, yeah, if you go back, no,
2: it's a, since the Cleveland Browns started back up in 1999, you know, no. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's that got to be the worst.
3: Yeah, but. but so you've
2: gone Browns, you say?
3: It's not the Browns. Um, the Bengals? No, I'll tell you where they are. The Bengals where are, are 25th. The Browns are 21st. Okay. So who's the uh, Um Cardinals? Very, Ooh. very close. The Cardinals are thirty-first with that's a four twenty-six win percentage. That's a really good one. I don't so think the Lions. The Lions are twenty-fourth with a four sixty.
1: Uh, I know who it'll be because uh, of their dreadful season. Uh, the Buccaneers.
3: Absolutely, at the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers <sighs> are the worst franchise in NFL history at three eighty-five win percentage, which is yeah. insane considering that they were really, really, really good okay, for like a 15-year period, if you think about that, a 385 win percentage is an average of about five wins a year. That's terrible. That is terrible. Okay, now those were all regular season records. In 2000, let's go by 2003 when the Dolphins gave up their their lead for all-time win percentage. The New England Patriots at that time had seven playoff wins. They have 37 now.
1: I've been I uh, that last night was my 35th Super Bowl as a fan. Okay, the Patriots have been in ten of them.
3: It's insane.
2: Uh, ten of them. Ten. Yeah, because of the 1996 one, right? No, the '86 one against the Bears. No, they the because they, I mean, they've been in the nine with Brady, right? Yeah, and 199 they they were in with Parcells a couple of years before. Oh, of course but, they were, weren't they?
1: Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, so, le-
2: so the 11 Super 11. Bowls, 11 Super Bowls in, thir- in 35 years of me That's, following the game.
3: Yeah. That's, that my first madness.
2: That's a really unfortunate lifespan. Yeah. And my first know, memory right? of the New England
3: Patriots <laughs> was that 85 team that had no business whatsoever coming into the Orange Bowl and defeating the Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship game and ruining that Super Bowl. And then going to, to play, I think it was in New Orleans the Chicago Bears, and getting absolutely destroyed. Uh, I forget yeah. what the score was. What was it? 46. 44-10 or
1: something? 44-6 or something.
3: Yeah, something like that. Had the Dolphins played in that bem- Super Bowl, it would have been really, really interesting to see. The My first
1: memory was Steve Grogan and John Smith, <laughs> the kicker who was English, and them and, um, cleaning the uh, snow off the field to make that kick.
2: Yeah,
3: and, and, all, and, and, and all I remember fucking...
2: Steve Grogan is from Tecmo Super Bowl. He used to throw those moon balls
3: on Tecmo Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy who cleaned up that spot at Foxboro was a, a felon on a furlough, remember? Cool oh he yes. was. And, yeah. And and it was great. <laughs> it was great how Don Chula on the press conference made a big old deal about they brought a felon from the stands
1: <laughs> probably ted bundy or somebody
3: <laughs> yes that was so good so good i've got to i've
1: got bed
2: i can't talk about the patriots anymore not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
1: this, is a, this is a dolphin's podcast
2: we're, we're gonna torture simon by making him stay up at night to talk about the new england patriots <laughs> exactly. at 1 in the morning i'm sitting here talking about the fucking patriots again
1: <laughs>
3: oh boy All right, you want to hear another thing that's pathetic? The Cincinnati Bengals have five playoff victories in their entire history. Nice. Okay. Wow. So, just when you think you have it bad, there's somebody that's worse than you. I don't care about that. Somebody better. Those are words. Those are words to to live by. Okay. Set your expectations low, people, and especially set them low for this upcoming season. We can hope for the best, but we do not know. All right, that's it. There is no more. Next week, I guess we'll talk more Brian Flores and start getting you ready for that draft season. Here's cool. the us. Three weeks to the combine. All right, till then. Thanks
2: for listening to 3 Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.